Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Brother, you didn't know what I was going to preach this morning, did you? You had no idea I was in Philippians 4, 6 through 9. How about that? That's how the Lord works. This is my brother from another mother right here, y'all. Amen. We, we, we think alike. We think alike. You got hair and I don't, so you're a smart aleck. But anyway, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about today's message, and then I'm going to preach for a little while, okay? Everybody give me your undivided attention. If you're with me, say, I am. I want to share with you something. I'm not telling you what, I'm not telling you what I'm about to tell you to make myself sound more educated than you, okay? I want to be very clear. I'm a, I'm a East Tennessee hillbilly. I'm a country singer. I love to deer hunt and turkey hunt and I love to whatever. I'm just a hillbilly, okay? But I am in seminary, uh, furthering my education of God's Word, okay? I'm actually studying at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I just finished a class called hermeneutics. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that word hermeneutics. Anybody? A few of you. The word hermeneutics is a word that just simply means understanding the Bible and accurately interpreting God's Word. Some of you need to know this. Would you listen? You need to know the Bible only has one interpretation. It means what it means to all people. There are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. It's God's Word. It's the same today as it was yesterday and will be forevermore. One of my professors online made this comment. He said, the Bible cannot mean today what it did not mean 3,000 years ago. So if me and you study God's Word and you stand up and say, well, Kenny, I interpret that different than you. Well, one of us is wrong. Because the Bible means what it means. It means one thing only, and it means that to all people. That is what we call interpretation. Now, there's another thing called application. That means you and I can study the same passage, understand it the same way, but then we can use it differently to reach different people groups. Are you with me? Say amen. So, understand that what we are reading today means today what it meant 2,000 years ago. And that's good news. That tells us that God never changes. There's another part of our hermeneutics class where we literally learned that every book of the Bible has a theme. Now here's why you need to know this. You need to know what I'm about to tell you because it truly gives the book of Philippians life. And it gives you and I a reason to celebrate this book. Every book of the Bible has a theme. Most scholars would call the book of Genesis the book of origins. That's where God created the universe. Did you know we serve an awesome, mighty God? Did you know, listen, did you know the universe came to be because God opened his mouth and said it should be? Do you remember? It said, God said, let there be light. Did you know there's light today because God said it should be? When God speaks, crazy things happen. Glorious things happen. The book of Genesis is called the book of origins. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are what we call the earthly ministries of Jesus. They're called the gospels because the word gospel means good news. And friend, Jesus is good news. Amen. When you get to the very last book of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation. Now, if you were to ask the average Christian what the word revelation means, they would say, well, it means end times. That's not what the word revelation means. The word revelation just simply means to unveil something. And life is full of revelation. 
The word for end times is a word, it's Greek, eschatology. The Greek word eschatology means the study of end times. Now, this is what is so special about the book of Philippians. When Paul wrote this great book called Philippians, listen to me, he was actually in prison when he wrote this. Do you know what scholars call the book of Philippians? They call it the book of joy or the book of encouragement. How is it that a man can write a book of encouragement while he's in prison? I can tell you how, because he knew personally the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the peace of God, and he knew that even in dark days, if we know Jesus, we can have peace and joy in the Lord. Amen? Did you know there's a difference in happiness and joy? Happiness is determined by our circumstances. Sadness is determined by our circumstances. But joy is something inside of you that comes from God that even in your darkest days you can have joy. I've known saved people of God that knew Jesus so much when they were told they had cancer, they could say, listen, I may have cancer, but I also have joy in the Lord because Christ Jesus lives in me. Amen? The book of joy or encouragement. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. Most prisoners, they don't wake up one day and say, well, how can I write a book to encourage the world? Most prisoners are screaming, I didn't do it. I want my phone call. Where's my lawyer? You know what I'm saying? Paul didn't do that. Paul had the joy of the Lord, and he knew the peace of God. And even in dark days in prison, we get this book called the Book of Joy that has helped people for centuries after. Amen. Philippians chapter 4. Some of you need this word today. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. And this is what Paul writes in the Book of Joy. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's stop there for a moment and let's dissect what Paul just told us. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. One thing that I learned in my hermeneutics class, there are words in our English Bibles that do not mean what they meant in the original language. Here's you a great example. Jesus said this. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. Did you know the word mansions in the original language does not mean a 5,000 square foot pad on a hillside with columns in a front porch? Have you ever been to Memphis and saw Graceland, Elvis's place? Friend, that's not what Jesus is talking about. And we've sung songs for years. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. You ever heard that song? So many people think when they get to heaven that they're going to have an 8,000 square foot white house with columns out front, a big green yard. Listen, friends, can I tell you what the word mansions means in the original language? A lot of your modern translation says it. The word mansions just means a room. And Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. That's more special to me than to think that I'm going to have an 8,000 square foot house. Guess what? When I get to heaven, I'm not going to have to be God's next door neighbor. I get to live with him. I don't know what my room is going to look like. At my house in East Tennessee, the walls are covered with white-tailed deer heads and fish and turkey feathers. You know, I got a man cave. It would be pretty cool if God helped me to make my room like a man cave. 
But if, listen, if my room looks nothing like my imagination, listen, dear friend, don't be sad. Some Christians get bent all out of shape when they find out that it ain't ain't talking about an 8,000 square foot house. Don't worry about it. Don't worry how big it is, how little it is, what color it is. Don't worry about it. All you need to know is when you get home, you're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity, and He's all you're ever going to need. That's good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, I ain't going to be God's next door neighbor. I'm going to live with Him. Tell Him right now. Amen. You know what Paul says? He says, be anxious for nothing. That word nothing, I studied it too. And I found out what it means in the original language. You know what it means? Nothing. It literally means no thing. Paul Paul just said, be anxious for no thing. There is not a single thing that should ever worry or bother a child of God. Your bank account, don't worry about it. Your father owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills they graze on. He owns it all. He's going to take good care of you. But yet we live in constant fear, depression, and anxiety. And by the way, I know what depression feels like. I know what anxiety feels like. A little later I'm going to share with you this journey that I've been on personally. Do you know what I learned though that's so sad? Did you know across the world, did you know that antidepressants are the most prescribed medication of all medications? There are more antidepressants prescribed than heart medicine, kidney medicine. Now, I'm not telling you that they're bad. Don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe there are people that live with chemical imbalances. And some people are fighting things inside of them that they just can't, they can't win. So if you have a doctor and you trust your doctor and your doctor tells you you need, you need medicine, listen, doctors and medicines are gifts from God. Amen. So trust your doctors. But I will say this, a lot of Christians, they're trying to fix with a pill what only God can fix. I know that because I've lived that. Paul says, be anxious for no thing. He said, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. What Paul says when he says pray with thanksgiving, he's trying to teach us how to pray. He said, pray with thanksgiving. What Paul is trying to teach us is we are, we're not only to thank God for what he's done for us. It's okay to thank God for past things. I woke up yesterday morning in my hotel, and I said, God, thank you that you got me to Oklahoma safely. I got into town on Thursday, I believe it was. God, thank you that you got me here safely on Thursday. God, thank you that we had a great men's retreat, had men saved. We met with the Lord. We ate good. I've gained 78 pounds in the last three days, amen? I couldn't live in this place because you all kill me. You know what I'm talking? But God, I thank you for what you've done. You know what Paul's telling us? Not only are we to thank God for what he's done, we are to thank him for what we know he's going to do. 
God, thank you in advance that you have everything worked out for me. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but God, you hold tomorrow, and I trust you with it, and I praise you for it. When you pray with thanksgiving in advance, you're telling God you trust him. And when you tell God you trust him, you are worshiping him. Amen? You are a little, you're a little quieter than the Tahlequah campus, eh? We're going to practice right now because I need some help. On the count of three, as loud as you can, say, Amen! One, two, three. There we go. Come on now. He said, if you pray with thanksgiving, he said, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, in verses 8 and 9, listen, Paul is about to tell us how we can live free of anxiety and depression. And I've been there. When I say depression and anxiety, I'm not talking about a bad mood. I'm talking about a very dark, lonely place. And when you live with anxiety and depression, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You can't just snap your fingers and it go away. You need help from heaven. Let's read verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true like Facebook, whatever things are noble like CNN and Fox News, whatever things are just like TikTok and Instagram, I hear y'all laughing out there. What are you laughing at? Your, your Bible don't say that? Guess what? Mine don't either. And you know why our Bible does not say that? Those things are the exact opposite of what Paul is telling us to focus on. Is Facebook a bad thing? It's not. Facebook was absolutely marvelous in the midst of the pandemic. It allowed churches to stream their services online. Some are doing it now. Facebook helped spread the gospel to millions across the world. It's not a bad thing, but would you look at me? If you camp out on Facebook six to eight hours a day, honey, it will depress you. Because most of it is bad news. And just because you read it on Facebook don't mean it's the truth. Amen? You may not realize this by looking at me. I'm a singer, songwriter, entertainer, evangelist. But I'm also a pretty darn good athlete. I created this athletic move that is sweeping the world, and it's helping millions. Now, if you watch it, you might get it. I hope I don't have to do it in slow motion. Are you ready? Look at this move. Did you catch that? You know what that's called? It's called the keep on scrolling. You know what I've learned to do? When I see something on Facebook I don't agree with, whoop, I keep right on scrolling. And when you're good enough, you can do it over and over and over and over. And guess what? You feel a whole lot better. I'm about to help somebody here today. Would you look at me? I'm not being mean. I want to help you. But some of you need to know this. Listen to me. You don't have to comment on everything you disagree with on Facebook. Did you know there are Christians that have absolutely destroyed their testimony? By starting a senseless Facebook war. Can I help you today? Some people didn't ask for your opinion, so they don't want it. 
I done made you mad. So I can tell by the look on your face. Some of you right now are saying, well, I ain't going to hear you at 6 o'clock tonight. Well, I hope you're not mad at me because I really want to help you. It feels so good to go. When I see what I don't like, I don't camp out there. Are you with me? Some of you, if I could give my message a title today, my message would be this. It's time to take out the trash. Because you see, there's some garbage in some of y'all's lives that you need to bring and lay at the altar. And say, God, I'm getting rid of it. It's got to go because it's like poison. And by the way, can I let you in on a secret? Every time I preach, I'm preaching to myself. Because I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Some of you today, you need to turn the television off. I know people personally, their television stays on Fox News 24 hours a day. And they wonder why they feel bad. Fox News and CNN, can I help you today? Fox News and CNN and others, they call those things the media. And can I tell you a little truth about the media? They're a bunch of liars. Now, do they report some truth? A little bit. I've got a friend that says, well, Fox News, they tell some good news. They tell a little bit of good news. But guess what else they're going to, 24 hours a day, you're going to hear about how we're at war. This country hates this country. This country's about to bomb this country. Our government's corrupt. This politician lied and cheated. And this one's going to prison. And this party's against this party. And they're going to do this. If that's all you hear 24 hours a day, it's going to depress you. And it goes both ways. I said this at the men's retreat. Stand up for me, buddy. Come here. Would you come here? Yeah, come here. This is one of my t-shirts. Turn around and look at this. We need Jesus in 2024. The Republicans ain't going to fix this mess. The Democrats ain't going to fix this mess. Only the God of heaven can fix this mess. He promised us in His Word that if we the people pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, He said, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. Amen? So stop watching the media. Tune in, listen, tune in long enough to be informed. But don't camp out so long that you get infected. There's a difference in being informed and being infected. When you're informed, you get wiser. When you're informed, it helps you make wise choices. But when you get infected, that's called poison and leave it long enough and it'll kill you. Some of you need to do business today with God. Me too. I have to fall on my face all the time and say, God, help me to focus more on you. Help me to focus more on that middle cross. Help me to turn off the bad news. Help me to throw away the trash and help me to look at that middle cross.
Paul said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. He said, if there's any, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know what the word meditate means? The word meditate means to spend time. When you meditate, you stop. You focus. You camp out for a little while. And you soak in the goodness of God. And when you do that, change happens. There's a beautiful promise right here where Paul says, meditate on these things. He said, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Do you know why Paul could give us encouragement while he's in prison? Because there was something in him not of this world. I can just imagine the prison guards when Paul was writing the book of joy. Is that guy crazy? By the way, let me remind you of something. Before this ever happened, go back and read the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts from beginning to end, this same guy that wrote the book of joy was tortured for his faith. In the book of Acts, it tells how Paul... By the way, Paul, let me give you a little background. This guy that wrote this book, Paul, before he was a saved man, was known for persecuting Christians, for arresting Christians, for torturing Christians. That's that guy. But then on the Damascus Road, he had an encounter with Jesus. He was saved and born again. His life was changed. He lived the rest of his life to tell the world about the goodness of God. And in the book of Acts, he was tortured. The book of Acts says that he was beat up multiple times because of Jesus. The book of Acts says that he was whipped with rods and thrown in jail because of Jesus. The book of Acts says that he was stoned. The book of Acts says they stoned Paul. They thought they killed him. They stoned him so much, but he was not dead. After all of that, he's in prison. He knew Jesus so well, and there was something in him. After all of that, in prison, he wrote the book of joy. And he says, the things which you've seen in me, meditate on these things. And this is the beautiful promise. Let's read it. He said, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. Look at me, church. Some good news today. When the God of peace is with you, depression has to flee. When the God of peace is with you, anxiety has to flee. Fear and worry, they flee at the presence of Almighty God. The God of the universe and depression and fear, they cannot go together. Matter of fact, depression, fear and anxiety, they're scared to death of Almighty God. And when Almighty God is in this place, those things have to go. But it's hard to give God all of this when over half of our day is looking at this. Or the television. I'm preaching to myself. 
Please don't sit out there today and think, boy, he thinks he's self, I'm not self-righteous. When God found me, he found a drunk and a dopehead and a cheater and a liar. I was everything you're not supposed to be. But January of 1998, I met Jesus and he changed everything. Ten years ago, I had a nervous breakdown, a true nervous breakdown. When God first called me to be an evangelist, I really didn't know how to book my schedule. When I was a country singer, I had a booking agent that handled everything and a manager, a couple of managers. They told me where I was supposed to be and when to be there, and I went. I didn't have to do anything but show up and sing. When God called me to be an evangelist, I had to do it all myself. I didn't know really how to do all this stuff. As I told you, next year will be my 25th anniversary in Pigeon Forge. About 10 or 12 years ago, I had a nervous breakdown because I was actually singing at a theater in Pigeon Forge, kind of like a Grand Ole Opry show. And our show was Monday through Saturday, six nights a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from 8 o'clock at night till 10 o'clock at night. And then after every single show, we would have to stick around and do meet and greet. People wanted to take pictures. They wanted autographs, all that stuff. There were nights that I wouldn't leave our theater till 10.45 or 11 o'clock at night. And on Saturday nights, I would end up leaving the theater at 10.45 or 11 o'clock at night, and I would drive six to eight hours to get to Florida or Ohio or Indiana. I was checking into hotel rooms at 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning to sleep for a couple hours to get up and preach wherever I was at. I would preach that morning, then I would preach that night, and then I'd climb in the vehicle and I'd drive another six to eight hours home. I'd get back to East Tennessee at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, and then I would sleep for a few hours. I was back on stage that Monday night in Pigeon Forge, and I did that for almost two years and I nearly worked myself into an early grave. And I crashed. And I had a breakdown. And I was unhealthy. And I had to go through months of counseling. And it was every bit self-inflicted. I took my eyes off the God of peace. And I started chasing the almighty dollar. When I got a little bit of money, I wanted more money. And I knew that more money would only come with more bookings. My time in God's Word disappeared. My time in prayer disappeared. I was seeking the things of the world. And it nearly cost me my life. I don't know what your God is. Your God might be your bank account. Your God might be social media. Your God might be that you're working too much. I don't know what your God is, but I can promise you this. If your God isn't the God of heaven, your God is going to fail you. Nothing wrong with Facebook. Nothing wrong with Fox News. Nothing wrong with those things as long as you know when to set it down. I literally, several years ago, I unfollowed every news channel on Facebook, even the local news. And guess what? I feel so much better. I really do. 
When I want to know something, I look at it, find out, and I put it down. Or I try to. (laughs) Some of you today, you're in that battle with depression. You're in that battle with anxiety. You're in that battle with worry and fear. And I can promise you because of the authority of God's Word, if you will bring whatever trash you're carrying and lay it at the altar and say, God, help me to clean it up, God will do His part. So that's the invitation today. See, I can tell by the look on some of y'all's faces that God's Word has spoken to your heart today. You know what I believe might be the hardest things for Christians to do? I think one of the hardest things for Christians to do sometimes is to go public. Do you have to come to the altar to be set free today? Absolutely not. You could pray right where you're seated and God could meet you there. But I know for me personally, to experience true freedom, I had to set aside my pride and I had to take a step of faith for God and I had to go public with my need. Here's the thing, when I say go public, I'm not saying you have to come up and tell me everything. I said this at the men's retreat, and I believe it's so true. I love sports. I love football, basketball. As a matter of fact, I used to coach high school football. Played football. Baseball. Love it. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with sports. But there are saved people that will go to a football game and lose their ever-loving mind and stand up and jump up and paint their bodies blue, yellow, and purple, whatever, and they'll go crazy at a ball game. But you can't get them to make half a peep in God's house. You ask these people to come public for Jesus, and they look at you like you lost your mind. I really believe sometimes God is telling His people, yes, I will meet you where you're at. But sometimes He says, but I want you to meet me where I'm at. At the men's retreat, we read in Matthew 9, and we're almost done, I promise. Don't you like when the preacher says that and he preaches another 45 minutes? And as we close, 45 minutes later, in Matthew 9, at the men's retreat, we talked about how, if you read Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, Jesus called Matthew to follow him. And the Bible says Matthew got up to follow Jesus. Then it says this, as Matthew and Jesus entered the house. This is what the Bible says. It says, many sinners and tax collectors, they came to sit down with Jesus. It does not say that Jesus went to their table. It says they came to Jesus' table. 
something about Jesus they liked. And they knew, we got to get to this guy. So they had to go from where they were to where he was to experience something awful special. So will you today come to the table? Set your pride to the side and say, on this day, I will go public and I will proclaim that I need Jesus. Will you lay it down at the table? You don't have to tell me a thing, but you can come today and bow and say, God, help me to get off social media when I need to get off of it. Help me to turn off the television when I need to turn it off. Help me to focus less on the bad news so that I can experience the peace of God that passes all understanding and God be with me. That's our invitation. Would you stand at this moment? Would you pray this prayer? God, help me to be faithful and help me to be bold today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come now? Are you?